noticing here within the stillness, the relative silence, what experience is presenting itself? The herd, that strand of sound coming in through our ears. the sensed, that strand of sensations reaching us through the nervous system of the body. The sensations of the breath Maybe other strong sensations that catch our attention from elsewhere in the body. cognized thoughts arising in the field of the mind. Spinning out their stories. And within the stillness, you might notice that if we're present, all of these things are just naturally and spontaneously known. 
the sound arises and it's just simply noticed. When that sound passes, then the noticing of it just very naturally ceases. So breath arises. And if we're present, not lost, then awareness picks up on it just naturally, spontaneously. And when that breath comes to an end, the awareness of it also comes to an end just naturally. So you might notice as you sit and pay attention, experiences arise, play out, eventually come to an end or change into another experience. And the awareness, the knowing, the noticing or noting of the experience comes right along hand in hand with it. The sound calls our attention. And if we're present, then just immediately we're aware of it. The sensation in the body calls our attention. And just immediately the awareness is there along with it. There's nothing to be forced or manipulated in the meditation. If we remember to be present, then these various strands of the physical, and the mental 
experiences just naturally are known.
So just a word about the schedule for this afternoon. It's going to be a little different, as you may have noticed. So from 3 to 5 o'clock, we're going to meet, be meeting in the hall here. Um, and that'll be a time to get uh, both some dharma and just some practical nuts and bolts information about the ending of the retreat and going back to uh, life out there. So everybody, uh, please attend that three to five session here because it's important to be here for that information. The corollary to that is that until three o'clock this afternoon, you don't still need to actively engage with all the thoughts about going home. You know, you have this last bit of practice, these last hours, to just really see, you know, what is the mind doing with that knowledge? that it's almost over, that we're going home, you know, to see the thoughts, feel the feelings. And as Steve was saying yesterday, to really learn about, you know, how do we relate to endings? How do we relate to transition? It's a really rich time when we can learn a lot. So until 3 o'clock this afternoon, just keep going. And then at, at that session this afternoon, there'll be a time for um, questions and discussion specifically about kind of taking the practice home, you know, continuing with the practice outside of retreat and applying it to our work, our relationships, our lives. So we'll take all those kinds of questions at that time in the afternoon. Um, so right now, if you have any lingering questions just about the retreat practice, uh, what's been going on here, we can take a few. Okay, well, I'll, uh, it's a question that I also get asked a lot, so I'll, again, do my best to answer it. <laughs> and, I mean, really, that's the big question, right? That's it. You know, who is there? I mean, this is really what we're looking to see. So, you know, in a way, in a sense, it's a question that can't really be answered, you know, like not for you. Um, our teacher, Upandita, I've heard him ask this question, you know, and he'll sometimes say, He'll give this metaphor, you know, he'll say, you know, the teacher can go up to the front of the classroom in the mathematics class and work all the equations and show how you get the answer. But until the student can actually go up to the blackboard and get the, get the right answer themselves, it's, it's, it's all theoretical. It doesn't do any good. So that's kind of one piece of the puzzle is that we're looking to see, you know, who are we really? What are we, we really? And um, it takes a certain amount of faith that we can arrive at an answer to that question through this process. It's not going to be an answer that's um, kind of couched in the same terms as the question. So we can ask that question from a certain perspective, from uh, kind of our ordinary conventional understanding of who we are. And then we do the practice. But the answer that comes back to us when we actually get that answer comes from a very different level of understanding. So it's like it comes in different terms. It's almost a non sequitur. It's kind of the you know, like a Zen koan. This is kind of the idea behind the Zen koans. You know, you ask a conventional question, but then the answer is truth, you know, the deeper truth. Yeah. 
Another um, kind of aspect of that question is that um, the deeper truth doesn't in any way negate the conventional truth. You know, so it's, there's not any need to stop talking about ourselves as I or you as you or, you know, talk, stop talking about the fact that we have families and relationships and jobs and the world is in such and such a condition and needs a lot of help and there's difficult situations and, and all those kind of conventional understandings of the world. None of that goes away when we see the deeper truth, you know, that level of, of the, mush, the mush together level of life, you know, where we are solid entities and, and there are specific circumstances going on. All of that is still... Uh, operative in the sphere in which that happens. So that's just one level of our lives. And what changes is not uh, that that exists, but what changes is our relationship to it. You know, if, if we're only ever stuck in that kind of conventional, uh, ordinary level of existence, then we don't really understand what's going on there. But if we have even a short time of kind of stepping out of it, stepping into the deeper truth, then it it makes this radical transformation to how we're understanding, oh, okay, there's a deeper truth beyond all of that. And until we see that, how we're relating to the, to the conventional level is going to have a certain amount of disharmony in it. You know, this is where the dukkha comes from, that we're not really living in harmony with how things are. Our expectations are unrealistic. How we approach happiness is ineffective. But once we see the deeper level, then we get, oh, okay, these are the ways to actually live in the conventional world that will lead to peace, that will lead to harmony for ourselves and for others. So that's just a few, you know, there's a lot you could say around this topic. And it's, it's you know, as I said at the beginning, it's really something for all of us to continue to, to explore and to discuss and to think about. It's an important question. Talking about what happens after um, death in the conventional sense, again, is always kind of a tricky thing, a sticky thing, because again, it's one of these non sequiturs. Um, but I mean, just to begin with, the Buddha didn't teach reincarnation, although it's, it's been interpreted in that way in certain cultures just because there's a pre-existing kind of tradition of that view of life you know, in certain cultures, some of the traditional Buddhist cultures. Um, but the Buddha taught rebirth which is really based on the principle of karma that Steve was talking about the other night, that what we carry forward with us is, this, is our conditioning. You know, what moves from one moment to the next moment, even within this, this, just this life, you know, let alone other lives. You know, what moves from this moment now to the next moment? It's just our conditioning and not any uh, core of self or soul. You know, it's not like there's... I remember seeing uh, the movie um, Men in Black years ago. Did you guys see that? And there's one alien that's like, he looks like a little old Italian guy or something. And at some point he's killed and they open up his head and there's like a little teeny weeny little alien inside of him that's, that's like directing everything, that's managing everything. And we can have the sense that we're like that, you know, that like somewhere in here, you know, we don't know quite where, we don't know quite how, but there's like something inside of us that's like running the show and that like keeps going, you know, through our whole lives or into next lives. And, um, and, you know, this idea has been around since, you know, way before the time of the Buddha. And this is really what he was, was reacting against. He was saying, no, it's, it's not like that. You know, it's, it's this conditioned experience playing out moment by moment. And there are very strong 
lawful causal links from one moment to the next, to the next, to the next, just in this life. And he, you know, he said that it's the same process. So at the moment of death, that process just keeps going. Another link to something else, another link to something else. And none of those moments can we say is me or I, either within this life or beyond it. So really what we're looking to see is just that, <laughs> that we're not here at all in the way that we think we are. We're not here the way that we, are, that we think we are now in this life, and we're not there you know, still that way after death, whatever might happen after what we call conventionally death, if that's helpful at all. You know, he gave this classic um, example of one, one candle lighting the next. You know, when you have a candle, it's lit, you see a flame, you take it, you light another flame, another candle. You know, did the same flame go from this candle to the next? It's, it's not. But, and yet there's a very strong relationship be, between, one can, between one flame and the next. It was because of the first flame that the second flame arose, and yet they're not the same thing. So we can think of our experience as kind of going from one moment to the next in just that way, very closely related, and yet not the same from moment to moment. So again, this is a really big <laughs> question, but that's a little bit of, of how you might think about it. Not that you need to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, one thing that's been impressing me a lot the last uh, several days from the repeated sittings and um, that thoughts and feelings and emotions are airy as a cloud. And uh, this morning, uh, your hand yesterday helped a lot. This morning, the sensation. So the comments about uh, noticing the insubstantial quality of phenomena and how when they're gone, they're just gone. And they're over. Just the karma. <laughs> the conditioning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the question's about having uh, work, as many of us do, that's very cerebral and involves a lot of thinking, where we're really getting uh, paid for our ideas and our concepts, and how to bring awareness into that process. Yeah, That's one that um, maybe let's leave it for this afternoon, because that's more talking about the, the interface going back out into the world. Yeah, good question, and we'll talk about it. Yeah, remind us this afternoon about that. So the question is about um, asking for more clarification between reincarnation and rebirth, mm -hmm. yes. and that the Buddha didn't, um, he tended to uh, 
not get into this kind of theoretical metaphysical discussions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but the karma can seem pretty metaphysical. <laughs> and it can, um, kind of in the mechanics of it, you know, in the theory of it, but really, uh, for the purposes of practice, the understanding of karma that we need is just really, really basic. And he would talk about it, you know, very often in these ways. He talked about karma as being um, part of right understanding, the very first step on the Eightfold Path, so kind of our launching point into the practice which are just kind of the very most basic teachings, the Four Noble Truths and Karma, kind of the, the basic information that we need to get onto the path and step onto the path. And so he didn't mean by that some you know, really you know, sophisticated, complex, detailed understanding of karma. In fact, he said that it's only really Buddhas that can really understand and see the workings of karma. But it's just simply to hold you know, this understanding of the highly conditioned nature of our experience, that the choices that we make matter. They have an effect. What we do now is going to affect the experience that we have in the future. So just really seeing it on that basic level, which you know, is something that modern neuroscience now is really confirming, that all through our lives, uh, how we use the minds is really even physically shaping how the mind is structured, how it's operating. So it's just that really simple understanding um, which is critical to, the, to this process, because if we don't think that we can change, if we don't think we can affect how, we, how we're living and how uh, we're experiencing life through what we do in the practice, then what's the point? So it's kind of like we have to accept to even step onto the path that we can come here, you know, do this very bizarre thing that we're doing here for nine days, and it's going to make a difference. It's going to have an effect. So it's just that really basic understanding of it. You know, and conversely, when we go back out into our lives, you know, as, as I forget who was saying it, but we, to understand that we don't get away with anything. You know, what we do out there also matters. And if we make poor choices that aren't in alignment with uh, kindness, compassion, you know, equanimity, then that too will have its effect and we'll have to reap the consequences. So it's just really understanding the lawfulness of how, as human beings, our lives unfold, how our experience unfolds, so that we will be motivated and have the faith to take the steps that we need to take to move towards greater happiness and peace. So we don't need to kind of make so much out of it. You know, that's really all we need. <laughs> and if, you know, if you're really interested in karma, there's a lot of good books out there. You know, in the metaphysics we can go and we can read. Some of us are inclined that way, but it's really, you know, as, as far as the purposes of reducing suffering, not, not necessary. I think you know we've got to stop uh, at this point for now. Um, some of you have your last check-ins today, and then again this afternoon we'll have time for more questions. And we just wanted to say that um, we've been very busy on this retreat, and we've received a lot of notes from you, you know, with some specific questions or um, sometimes asking for quotes or things from the Dharma talks. And if we haven't uh, been able to get back to you, uh, we apologize. <laughs> but that's just. Uh, kind of how it is, so you can practice with the letting go of that. <laughs> and, and trust, you know, again, that whatever you really need in terms of teachings will come your way, you know, and when you, if it, if it really needs to stick in there, it will, and if it didn't really stick, then you'll get it another time. Okay. So, on to another morning of practice.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.